0: thanks christy this morning christy kayla i'm looking at christy i'm thanking kayla uh all right (laughs) we're off to a great start uh this morning we are going to be continuing our series on philippians called life together and our plan is to just spend some time in this amazing letter uh, reflecting on it working through it nice and slow we're in no rush to get anywhere last week we looked at chapter 1, verse 1. Today we are maybe going to finish verse 2. So just kind of a quick heads up with where we are going to be going with things. Uh, but first, I wanted to, to, to start by just saying this. Uh, if you've been around the church for a while, uh, chances are you're probably familiar with the Apostle Paul and his various different letters that make up a significant portion of the New Testament. Uh, he's written all kinds, not just Philippians, but Romans, First Corinthians, there's a whole bunch. And, and the thing that's really interesting is, as you read through these, there's a flow, there's a structure, there, there's a degree of which it kind of feels like there's, you're kind of reading the same thing over and over again, especially in the greeting section, which we're looking at right now. And so there's a temptation often, I know for me and probably for you too, if you've been around this a lot, is you just kind of go, okay, let's get the greeting out of the way and let's get into the theology. Let's get into the real meat of this letter and yet at the same time i think that there is a real value in slowing down and reading through this greeting Uh, because i think that there's a whole lot of significant things going on within it uh, there's an expression that, that says the familiar often breeds unfamiliarity. And essentially what that is saying is this idea that sometimes you can be around something so much. Uh, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a, uh, maybe it's a drive or a commute or whatever it is, something you've done over and over and over again. It almost becomes just kind of like clockwork for you. It just, you can go on autopilot with it. You kind of think you have it all figured out. And one of the things that happens when you become so familiar with something is that sometimes you begin to miss out on on just how amazing or beautiful or fascinating that thing is, the mystery that is still present there. I'm learning this. I've got two kids, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And there are things that we will do, we'll share together experiences as a family where I think, oh, I've done this before. Uh, but then I hear their insights and their observations on a drive or as we've watched a movie together that I've seen you know, dozens of times. But they see it, and they see it in a totally new and different way. And so my hope is, as we read through this greeting together, uh, that it will begin to stimulate our minds and, and help pull us forward as disciples, as followers, as apprentices to Jesus, that we might become more like him. But first, another embarrassing story from my life. Uh, A couple of years ago at work, I was there with one of my coworkers and she was asking if I could go and do do a bunch of different things. She had kind of, there was a bunch of stuff we were dividing up on a task list. And so she went through and she said, could you do this, this, and this? And I was kind of zoned out. I was doing something else at the time. I I can't remember what specifically, I was on my laptop. And I said, yeah, sure, honey, I'll get to it. after, immediately after I said it, I was like, whoops, did I just call my coworker Honey? <laughs> uh, and she knew immediately, and she just started laughing at me. Uh, this is not something that common practice happens for me. Uh, and so it's that awkward, like, oh, whoops. Uh, and now I call my wife, I call her Honey, sweetheart, all the time. I call my daughter Honey all the time. And it's not a big deal. In the context of our family, it makes complete sense. But there's something about that kind of language when outside of that, when you use it, it's strange, uh, make, make us feel just, make, we laugh because it's just, oh, that seemed out of place. Uh, for some people, maybe they use it all the time. We all know that dad who calls everyone honey or sweetheart and uh, stop it, just stop. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but for us, there's this kind of this awareness that like, these are how we talk to people who are in our family or maybe we were really close to and this is how we talk to those outside of that circle. Paul here in this letter, he begins to use language that I would argue that for us, we listen to it or we read it because we probably heard this letter multiple times or we're so far removed from the context of the original audience of this letter, but we miss out on just how shocking and jarring some of this language is. I want to read to you Paul's greeting one more time. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you have a Bible or the words are up on your screen, I'd actually encourage you to read it aloud with me. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So so Paul begins his letter. First, he introduces himself and Timothy, and uh, we talked about last week how he identifies himself as a servant or a slave of Christ Jesus. But then he goes on to the next part, and he talks to specifically his audience. He says, to all God's holy people. Now, for us, again, we read that, we don't think a lot about it. But first off, something interesting that's in there. First off, Paul begins by addressing the entire community. Now, in ancient Rome, in the Roman Empire, you start by addressing the people of the highest position, and you work your way down. But Paul doesn't start there. He doesn't start with the leaders, the overseers. He starts with everyone. It's almost like, hey, we're all on this equal playing field. And then he has this expression, he says, God's holy people. There are some translations where they actually translate holy people as the word saints. Now, this is pretty bizarre, and Paul refers to this community here for a couple different reasons. One, Paul has been raised as a Jewish man, and the Jewish people, they were God's holy people. They were God's saints. And when we say the word saint, we're not simply talking about halos and stained glass and shrines. Uh, but what we're actually talking about is God's initial calling and invitation to make a people who were going to be reflections of him into the world. And this was a, sp- a specific call and a specific invitation given to the people of Israel. Th- this is for the people who were obedient to The commands of god this was for the people who were raised in the right families and who were living this out in the world and yet paul he is writing to this group of gentiles people who were raised in homes that probably had all sorts of idols that prayed and worshiped all sorts of false gods that indulged in all sorts of behavior that was far outside of the boundaries for what was appropriate for a holy person or peoples to do and yet Paul, he looks at this community and he calls them holy people. Essentially, he's saying, you've been made a part of this God family and this God mission. It's almost like uh, this experience, I immediately think back to um, those times in my life where there's been that person who it's like they, they, you maybe it's someone you admire, it's a parent or or a or a family member who's a kind of someone you look up to. Maybe it's a friend who you look up to. Maybe it's a coach or a teacher, uh, and that person comes and they go, "Hey, I want you to do this," and they give you a responsibility, and, and it's like I and essentially they don't necessarily have to say this, but essentially in them just giving you this responsibility and giving you this task, they're saying, "I." believe in you, or maybe even more significantly, I want you to be a part of this. I mean, it's just this expression of just, hey, I'm trusting you and inviting you into this to be a part of it. And so for Paul, he looks at this community of people who, uh, at least by Israel standards, they did not make the cut. They were born into the wrong families. They'd grown up doing all the wrong things. They had these, these histories of, of uh, focusing on things that are so far away from who God is, and yet Paul sees them and he says, you guys are saints. You are God's holy people. You have been invited in to this relationship with God and into this family of God, and you've been blessed and called and challenged with this incredible mission to reflect his love into this very broken world. And Paul goes on to say this. He says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi. Now this is an expression that Paul uses multiple times throughout his letters. He talks about being in Christ. And essentially what he's saying is this, is when he says that we are in Christ, we as followers of Jesus, we as apprentices to Jesus, we are in Christ. He is saying what is true about Christ has now become true of us. The relationship that Jesus shares with his father, he shares and invites us into. The family of God that Jesus has so perfectly lived out, we are made a part of. And and the mission that Jesus came and and gave himself to and lived out, it is something that we are invited to be a part of as well. And so when Paul uses these phrases, in Christ, this is something, I mean, this is an incredible, powerful thing that all of us are invited into. And at the same time, he is aware of the circumstances that the, the, uh, the Philippians are navigating. They're in a city called Philippi. It's a pagan city that worships all sorts of different gods. And if you choose to worship the one true God, it is going to make your life very, very difficult. And so Paul, he reminds them, remember you are in Christ christ jesus even while you are in philippi that regardless of your circumstances or your situation when you are in christ you have everything you need to be connected to god and to live out an incredible mission in this world in the midst of the challenges that you are facing in the midst of the isolation you are navigating in the midst of of maybe the health concerns that you're walking through in the midst of your dysfunctional family, in the midst of whatever challenges that are just so overwhelming for you right now, know this, that you are not alone. If you are in Christ, that that you have this connection, this relationship with God, that you have been brought into a family that's there to walk through it with you, the church, and you have been given a mission to reflect God's love into the world. Now, A few things that are kind of interesting about this is Paul. He then goes on to talk about this. He says, grace and peace to you from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word that Paul uses there, the word that we translate grace, it is a Greek word that essentially means gift. It just means completely undeserved. It's something that God gives to us. It's not something that we earn. It's not some sort of payment that God gives to us. It is entirely initiated and sustained by God. And Paul uses this word multiple times throughout his letters because he sees his life as something steeped and given possibility to through grace. It's all a gift from God. And Paul, he has all sorts of things, that, at least by the Jewish standard, that he has that he could be bragging about. He's achieved all sorts of incredible things. Just going through 1 Corinthians 15, 9-10, he talks about this. Uh, He talks about, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So essentially saying, I was such a good Jewish person that I was fully committed to the way of Judaism. I was ready to shut down this Christianity thing. But, But then he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. And so for Paul, he looks at all of his achievements, all of his passion, all of the energy that he once had, and it gets completely reframed because he realizes that Jesus showed up, worked on it, or came, and and he encountered Jesus in this very real, life-transforming way. And now when he looks at his entire life, he just sees it all as a gift from God, and that he has been invited into participating and sharing in his life in Christ. A little bit later, uh, or in another letter in the letter to Galatians, Paul writes this, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how, I intensely, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. For Paul, he doesn't look at his own achievements as being something that's kind of earned his spot in God's family, that's earned his relationship with God, or has entitled him to be a part of this amazing calling and mission in the world. For, for Paul, it's all grace. And so regardless of your background, but regardless of your, your history, your backstory, the things that you've done, your past mistakes, or even your past successes for Paul, it goes, it's all grace. We're invited to be in Christ, and it's all grace grace. I love it how he puts it in Philippians, and a few verses later, Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, he simply says this, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all you share in God's grace with me. I love the way the new American Standard Bible puts it. They just, he says, or they, they translate Paul saying this, you are, are, you all are partakers of grace with me you and i are partakers of grace regardless of our greatest achievements or our most significant failures it is all grace my hope and my prayer for for us as a church that we would see each one and everyone as saints as holy people not because of their achievements not because of their ability to get everything right but because of what Christ has done. And even more significantly, that we would see in our lives that we have this amazing opportunity. We've been invited to be a part of this mission in the world to go out and to proclaim and to live out the reality of what it means that Jesus is risen and alive and that death and sin and evil do not get the last word and we get to go and proclaim this and live this and share this, and that's an amazing thing, but it's not something we earn. It's entirely a gift. It's all grace. And if it's not something that I deserve or you deserve or Paul deserved, then how much truer is that of even the darkest places that we see in this world for the most fractured and broken and self-absorbed lives For us as Christians, we don't get a choice of deciding who's in, who's out. Our opportunity is to go, and as we are in Christ, in whatever situations we find ourselves in, to go and proclaim the grace of God. Because even in the darkest, most difficult lives, and the things that we would say, oh, they are so far away from God, it's all a gift. And even there, God can work. We're going to transition now to communion. And so if you have a, uh, your, the things that you're going to be using, your bread, your drink, uh, I invite you to get that. The, one of the names that communion has been given throughout church history is the name Eucharist, which actually comes from the Greek word churis, which is the word grace. And so as we share communion together, we are reminded that this is not something we earn. It is not something that we deserve. It is not something that we achieve for ourselves, but it is something entirely given as a gift to us by the God who loves us and has shown us that love in Jesus through his life, through his death, and through his new life resurrection. And so as we partake, as we share in this meal together, would you know that we are all partakers of grace. And as you taste the bread in your mouth, and as you taste the drink in your mouth, that that you would experience this very rich reality of knowing that it's all grace. That the love that God has for you, it's already been given. You don't have to earn it. And that you would discover the incredible mission and life that God graciously invites each one of us into. I'm going to take a few seconds for quiet reflection and then we will eat together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace. It's not something we earned and yet in your uh, just self-giving love you have given us new life. And so, as we eat, as we drink, would we remember and reflect? uh, And and would we embody just this truth? We thank you so much that you took broken, sinful people like me, like Paul, like all of us, and that through Jesus Christ, that in Jesus Christ, we are all saints. body and blood of Christ given for you would you receive and eat